0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to one of the ten best English language Fiorentina podcasts on the Internet. Welcome to Viola Station.
1: Hello, Viola fans. We are back at it, 30 minutes following a tough loss to Napoli. And yes, we are back to discuss everything Fiorentina following that game. Tito, it is a 2-1 loss to the top table team, but it can't be all bad news. There had to be some good stuff to take out of it, right?
0: I think there's definitely some good stuff to take out of it. Uh and we're going to look for that really really hard, I think. Because yeah. that's all we got left right now. Uh <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, man. Uh I'll tell you what. Let's let's start it off with a with a little bit of an easy one here. You want to do some birthdays? Let's do it. All right, let's do some birthdays. Um uh, let's start out with a uh, with one of the youngsters. Alessandro Bianco just turned 19 on Friday the 1st. Uh, which is fun because he's actually born in Turin. Didn't know that, but he's a Torino guy, not a, not a Juventus guy. So he can stick we can around. Him. Yeah. yeah. We can. Him. And uh, just got a call up for the U uh, twenties too, which is pretty exciting. I don't know. You, do you think that he's uh,
1: going to make an appearance this year? He's been, he's been making a meteoric rise uh, through the ranks. And when you look at the team below, there aren't many players that are sitting on that team that are first team ready. He's probably one of the first team, first players that you would uh, think of um, as being somebody who's, you know, right at the cusp. I, I just think right now, actually, though, the team that we're fielding is just much better than it was last year when we could have used a couple Primavera players. We have a really deep squad right now, uh, especially in some areas that aren't including the right wing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, so we'll see. Yeah, no, I'll I'll
0: I'll I'll go with you on that. Yeah, maybe maybe we will end up seeing him, but probably a good thing if we don't. Uh, yeah. Next next birthday we've got is uh one of one of my favorite Fiorentina players ever. Yep, Juan Manuel Vargas turning thirty eight on Tuesday the fifth, and the idea of Juan Vargas turning forty is or even getting close to it is hilarious to me a little bit. Uh, how do you think that he's
1: celebrating? Probably with quite a few drinks, I would imagine, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, yikes, yeah. That guy, <laughs> uh, you know, he was he was all fun all the time, uh, whether it was off the pitch or on the pitch. God, you're, what you're, one match. of your favorite players, one of my favorite players. I mean, I loved watching just the tenacity and veracity that he played the game <laughs> with. You know, it was always going to be a fun time when you were watching him as a Fiorentina fan oh, or yeah. not to be a big fan of that guy. Oh, yeah, nothing but
0: bangers for goals. Uh, Alberto Gilardino said he was the best crosser he ever played with. And, I mean, you can't not love a guy who shows up, like, blackout, stumbling in an airport, wearing a hat that says, "fuck." Sorry about that, producer, Mike. We can bleep. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Earning his money.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, so happy birthday, local. Hope it's a good one for you. And let's let's drop back into the Prondelli days because there's another birthday the day after Martin Jorgensen, not the cinematographer, ex-husband of Alexandra, the former prince of Denmark and not the hedgehog. But Fiorentina's Martin Jorgensen is going to be turning 46 on Wednesday the 6th,
1: which feels crazy that he was that long ago. Doesn't seem like that long ago. Nope. Uh, but also some of those references, I'm not exactly sure where you're going with them. it uh, so, uh, so may need some explanation. I don't know.
0: Okay, so a fun thing that I learned when I was first writing about Martin Jurgensen was that that is also the name of a Danish cinematographer who is the ex-husband of the former Prince, uh, Crown Princess of Denmark. And so when you Googled him for a while, it was this guy who came up instead of our Yorgi. And it was always kind of funny being like, I don't think that he's married into a royal family, but <laughs> maybe. And then uh, the hedgehog thing, there, there was a longtime reader on the site years and years and years ago who had a pet hedgehog that she named Jorgensen after after him because he had the spiky hair. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so a long for a long time, it's been a uh, Jurgensen the Hedgehog jokes nonstop, and I,
1: I don't know why that pleases me so much because I, I guess it gives my age that that the first thing I started thinking about was Sonic. Like I thought that <laughs> had something to do with Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> no, I
0: feel I feel like uh, Martin would be mo- maybe more of a Knuckles guy. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, but yeah, happy birthday to him, I would say, and uh, I think that brings us around now, as it does every week. Mike, what are you drinking?
1: You know, uh, it's been a discovery to figure out what was going on with my digestive system, and it found out that it was not gluten. It was actually dairy. So now that I figured this out, lactate makes chocolate milk without (laughs) all of the stuff that makes me sick. So for a guy who used to, every football practice in high school, drink a pint of chocolate milk before football practice. <laughs> it, it was just one of those things that I was I was missing. Uh, and then my wife was at the store and she's like, baby, they have it. Yes, pick it up. Uh, so that was this morning. And I am going to be drinking the entire half gallon today. So chocolate milk, lactate all the way. Thank you for getting rid of all that stuff that I can drink. <laughs> oh, my God. I, someone call this man a plumber right away
0: uh holy smokes dude uh yikes yeah i I can't keep up with that i've just got a uh coffee with coffee because it's still a little bit early over here waking up early to watch the game but because my body's a temple i only drink decaf but because it's a temple in ruins i put some whiskey in it too so that's what (laughs) that's what we're doing
1: i I like how Uh. you set that one up Oh, I do, that yeah. <laughs> Like I said, that one up. everybody was wondering. I wasn't the only one. As people were going to be listening to this, they're so like, coffee with coffee, really? And then you let it go, and then you wait for it, and there it was
0: with the whiskey. Yeah, that that's the content right there, everybody. All right, uh, let's go. Let's go ahead and dive into this thing real quick. Uh, what do you What do you think? Should we start talking talking about this Napoli game first? Sorry, I'll let you finish a sip of your delicious <sighs> beverage
1: there after a nice sip of chocolate milk. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Well, let, let's jump in. So, uh, well, what went well, let's start positive. What went well in that game to you? You know, you got, you, the three of us were talking during the game uh, and and I was very, very happy with that first half, very happy. And I personally believe that first half for me that was the best that I've seen a Fiorentina uh, team play, up until that weird sequence of events that led to the you know four yellow cards and, uh, yeah, uh, and the goal with with like thirteen different saves and and a, a lot of different reviews. Crying out um, loud, yeah. Weird circumstances that played out there, and 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 every single one of them fell into Napoli's favor. Uh I but back before that, I thought that that was the best first half of football that I've seen this team play in many, many years. Better better than the inter game i i I loved everything I saw from minus one thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved all ten players on the pitch and the way that they were playing together. More than I've seen a team play uh, in in years, in in all honesty, we dictated play. I know that the half ended 52-48, but I'd be curious to see the possession for that first 30, 32 minutes, whatever it was. We we had to have, like, what, 60, 65% of possession, 70%? Probably something
0: like that, although I am really curious here when you said those 10 players on the pitch. (laughs) Are you a... Is there someone you're trying to ignore a little bit or something? Is there someone you're uh,
1: singling out here? Maybe we can get into that in a sec, huh? In uh, a sec, you know, in in due time, I guess, right? You know, uh, he, he's slow to play on the pitch, so we'll just be slow to build that one up, right? Ah, well done, well done. <laughs> um, but back to it, you know, I thought that 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 first half was was phenomenal. We dictated play, we high pressed, and I was worried, in all honesty, the first like four or five minutes. Napoli had a high press on us and we were going back, came up. We had to go back again, but we handled that high press very, very well. We were able to get around all of that movement and not give up possession. Years ago, a year ago, a couple months ago, (laughs) Fiorentina would have given up possession and we would have given up a goal in that scenario. But that back line and that midfield really dictated play, did not get panicked, had a great sequence in, in series of events, led up to uh, to a great goal. I, I mean, you know, seeing that cross come in, Dushan played back, had a very, very nice pass, uh, got the assist, LMQ uh, slots the goal home. And that was Beautiful. quite a strike too. Holy smokes. It, it, it was It was phenomenal to see how that played out. But you know what I liked better than that goal? How oh. Fiorentina came back out after that goal, and pressed high again. I, I said to my wife and my daughters, we were watching the game. I said, here's how we're going to see if Fiorentina is actually going to be a different team than they were in the past. Because, again, six months ago, last year, after we scored that first goal against a better team, we sit back. We let them dictate play. But we went out. We pressed. We, we actually got a couple turnovers. And if it wasn't for, in my personal opinion, a phantom yellow. Yes, I said it. A phantom yellow to Jack Bonaventura, who had a great game, who was pressing, who was running around like a madman, uh, if it wasn't for that phantom yellow, I think the game would have been completely different, and we would have finished that first half with the second goal.
0: Maybe, although the real story here, I think, is that we need to call CPS on you if you're making your kids watch Fiorentina now, too. That's just a <laughs> long way to,
1: to hurting children. I'm, we can't support that here. Uh, hey. Fifth in the table, we're in a much better spot. <laughs> no, we, we need to teach them Juve's bad at some point, right? Well, I
0: mean that. that I assume that comes in the cradle. Like everyone's born knowing that. It's just that the the Juventus supporters forget as they as they age, which is a shame. No, I'm, I'm with you though. I think that uh, I think what really impressed me in that first half was how controlled Fiorentina was. They didn't. It wasn't like Inter where they just pressed like crazy and clearly ran themselves out of juice. After 45 minutes, I thought that they did a really good drop, job controlling the tempo, uh, pushing high up, but occasionally sitting off and giving themselves a little bit of a break. Uh, I think the way that, to me, the way that really uh, displayed itself was how they forced Napoli to play. I mean, Napoli couldn't keep the ball or build anything in the first half for a while until those last, yeah, eight minutes when they really started pouring forward. And all, all they could do was hit the ball long for Osamien, which I mean, Hitting the ball long for Osimhen is not a bad strategy or a bad option.
1: Very, very good player. Holy smokes! But With those wheels, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, dude is. Im- quick. Him versus Nico, I wonder. I would
0: actually watch. He, I know they used to do that in the nineties for the uh, yep. in England. They did the Rumbleo's race where they just have guys like race each other down the sideline. I think that could be kind of fun to bring something really, really stupid like that back. I'm all for it. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that really stood out to me, though, from this from this last game, was that uh, Bartolomia Drogowski trying to get the names right here, was really, really good on the ball. Uh, his passing was fantastic. He had that one where he stepped forward halfway to the center circle, uh, beat a Napoli attacker to the ball, dribbled past him, and launched this sixty yard. Ball over a over a Lorenzo, I think that put Nico Gonzalez in acres of space. Uh, I mean, that was obviously the highlight. But he was really, really safe with the ball. Always looked confident, no mistakes. And after a after a few weeks where that wasn't the case, I think it's clear that oh yeah, this is a world class athlete. If you tell him to start playing with the ball at his feet, he can probably figure it out. And so that that's really good to see. And I'm sure uh italiano is
1: thrilled about it as well is it just me or does it look like dragowski has uh dropped a few pounds his face is much more chiseled now i i get it his, that, his beard I, is the, cut shorter the punchlines write themselves sometimes man yeah, yeah. You know, but, <laughs> but but he looks like he probably dropped and got cut you know about 10 pounds he does yeah he looks like he's been in the gym. I think last year he was
0: going a little more seba fry body type and this year he's uh, a <laughs> yeah more benevolent uh, berserker blood prince which is cool. Definitely I think he's been in the gym. Hope um, That said hope he's okay. Looked like he pulled up maybe a maybe a
1: hamstring. Uh, I think I saw that it was a uh, a muscle injury uh femoris rector
0: uh if ah, I'm making yes. up that muscle. If that I'm old making Tamaris
1: it. Up, that's the real uh, that's the real danger. Comment, comment in the comment section that that is not a muscle and just let us know what it actually was. But uh, <laughs> uh muscle injury that looked painful, but they said shouldn't uh, shouldn't be too hampering. But we'll we'll see what plays out over the next 24, 48 hours. And yeah, with Pietro Terraciano ready to step in too, it's
0: I mean losing Bart would be bad, but having one of the best backups in Serie A definitely helps. But I, I think that does kind of move us into uh we've talked about what went well. Now, what did not? Uh, obviously, Bart picking up a little bit of a niggle, not a good thing. But I think there might be some slightly larger topics of conversation here. Uh, you you want to start or you want me to? Why don't you go ahead? Okay, yeah, I think what uh what really jumped out to me was just the details, especially at set pieces. Uh, this has been a problem for this team for a while. I mean, the look at and Dzeko's goal, they've got they've conceded a lot of good chances off of corners. Specifically, I think this year, even though they've only shipped two actual goals off them. So yeah, that letting uh letting Romani get that that winner off of a free kick where they were all just completely flat footed, completely caught out. Was really bad, not on, crashing on that play. Since you brought Yo, it up, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, the, on that play, what do you think actually happened? I think I think they just got suckered. Frankly, I, I think that everyone assumed that Insigne was going to curl it in, and he did that little run up and then bailed. And I think everyone just froze like so many deer in the headlights and let Jelinsky just pop it right over the top for Romani,
1: and that's. It, 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 That kind of thing.
0: You can't, you can't do that in in Serie A, I don't think. No,
1: no, that Uh, that was
0: bad. Yeah. And uh, the the same thing, the the PK, like how, how can you let your goalkeeper save the penalty, save the follow-up to the penalty, and then someone still arrives to smash it home completely unopposed. That is shockingly bad defending uh, for really from the whole team. I don't think you can single anyone out there because everyone was grouped around the box you have to crash the posts following a penalty. Like, you teach eight-year-olds this, and ha- how are these grown men standing there doing whatever it was they were doing that wasn't that? That kind of stuff just drives me nuts. Now I'm sure Italiano isn't thrilled either. And even more than that, in, with attacking free kicks, they wasted a bunch of really good ones, I thought. Uh, Baragi, Callejon, and Torreira all had very good set piece opportunities in the second half that they just airmailed, either overhit straight out to touch or hammered straight at the first marker. Yep, uh, like that—that that kind of stuff. I—I I don't know if that's because in training, Italiano is really working on getting like the open play patterns set. I mean, again, it's still very early in the season. He didn't get a full off season with these guys, et cetera. So I wonder if that means they're just ignoring set piece stuff a little bit. And as the year goes on and they have more time to devote to that, it's going to improve. But it's just sloppy. It's like little things like that. Those are the kinds of margins that winning teams exploit. And and Fiorentina are not doing that. And I don't think they're going to
1: get to that level until they can start tightening that kind of thing up. So so let me ask you this. Uh, You you played soccer. Uh, I know you played American football as well. I played American football, um, basketball, I captain teams. Um, Typically when those types of mistakes happen, the coach goes to the captain and the captain is kind of responsible for pointing that out or, or, you know, giving a swift kick in the ass where necessary. Why is that not happening with Baragi here? Oh boy. I mean, I can't answer that
0: because I'm not in that group. I don't know what like the interpersonal dynamics are there, all of that uh so who who can say i I would like to see Baragi, yeah, really t- go after his teammates a little bit more. uh he's I, I to his credit, he's been very willing to get in the faces of opponents and get up mm-hmm. to the ref and let him have a piece of his mind in a way that I think Herman Besella never really did. But I would, yeah, I'd like to see Baragi and really everyone start requiring more accountability from each other there.
1: You're absolutely right. And, and taking that a step forward, I, I, I don't know if this is just me and maybe I'm looking at things just too much. When Drogowski went down at the end of the game, I remember watching the video and he's down on the ground. Obviously, the Fiorentina staff are around taking care of him, seeing what's going on. He's in obvious pain they flash out the Fiorentina players are, are, you know, going towards the tunnel. And then you see Napoli players coming over to Drankovsky and, and, and talking to him and consoling him and giving him hugs and pats on the back. Where were his teammates? Like, isn't that part of their job to go and check on their guy, help stand him up and carry him in? Maybe, I mean,
0: maybe, maybe they did go check on him and the cameras just didn't pick it up. Who knows? I, I think that maybe some of it is just th- there's not really a, that veteran presence out there at that point in the game. I mean, Jose Callejon certainly old, but he was <laughs> off the field at that point. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think you're right though. There, there isn't anyone who seems to be really demanding that kind of accountability and, and trying to build that kind of community among the team. I mean, Dushan will, Duchamp's not afraid to, yell at his teammates which is a good thing and a bad thing sure but yeah I think there needs to be more more support there
1: yeah I, I think he'll you're right do it. yeah he'll he'll do it selfishly you're, you're not giving him the ball when he wants it but but there's nobody necessarily and, and first of all let me say this this team is a team this year which is what's been missing the previous years there's more culture there however is there somebody who's really galvanizing them and bringing them all together to the point that it's a family There was an opportunity for that when Dushan went down. There's an opportunity for that when you're making mistakes that are leading to penalties that are leading to goals, yellow cards, all of these mistakes, somebody has to step up and do that. I I just don't know who it is to your point. You know, who is that veteran presence? That's, that's the real question. So do you think that
0: that kind of thing makes like has an impact on the rest of the season? Or do you think we're, this is just kind of a one-off, like it's against Napoli. They've won seven out of seven games in Serie A. They look fantastic. Is this just a, a loss against the best team in the league right now that we can't read too much into? Or do you think there are more underlying things we can read,
1: read out of it? Yeah, you, you know, we're, we're critics, obviously, and, and you know, so we can read yes. into anything. Personally, as far as the game, I, I was very happy with the performance that we gave against the top team in the, in the league. Seven games, seven wins. They're very well coached. I mean, Spalletti. No, no, no reason needs to be given other than what you're seeing here as to why he should have been the target for Fiorentina all along. I think, but he does just
0: always look so gloomy out there. He looks like an undertaker, man, wearing a wearing a tracksuit to me. Just he always looks so like gloomy. I don't know, man.
1: I, I do kind of like that Italiano is a little more fiery and a little happier at least. Uh, well, listen. I, I, I'm very happy with Italiano as well. I, don't 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 make uh, you know. I guess you know something more out of it than than what I'm saying because no. I, I and 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 I, you know my words are what they are. I, I love Spalletti. I, I would have loved to have him, but the fact that we have Italiano, there's a good chance that he could actually be you know the, the top coach in Serie A so far this season, bringing this team to where they're at. Fifth may actually be a, a better coaching job than what Spalletti's done, bringing Napoli to, to first and seven out of seven. Yeah, Th- that's there, fair. There's, there's definitely a debate there. Uh, but, you know, back to the game, I'm very happy with what I saw the first half. I think that, uh, you know, when you think of what went wrong, that, that slew of yellow cards going back to Jack, and then it builds up across, you know, the back line. We were very aggressive that first 30 minutes when you have that many yellow cards happen in, in, in sequential order like that, it changes, it changes yeah. the narrative. It changes how aggressive you yeah. can be. And that took something away from us. So I, I think that we need to, you know, find ways to cut down on some of these mistakes to have controlled aggression. That'll come in time. I love what Italiano's doing. So I, I, I take a lot of positives out of this game.
0: Well, all right, then I'm going to go ahead and take the, no, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm with you completely. I thought this was a very positive game. Uh, Fiorentina didn't look like the better team by any stretch, but they looked like they belonged on the same field. I mean, you're going up against a team that's been as good as Napoli. I feel like that's not a bad place to be, honestly, especially yeah. considering that the core of that team has been together for so long. I mean, you get guys like Insigne, Koulibaly, uh, as much as I despise him, Mario Rui, uh, Great um, actor, great actor. Yeah, great actor. Uh, yeah that he's what a what a pill that guy is. Uh, just, yep. just all of these guys who've been there for a long time—they have that culture that you were talking about built up. They
1: have those relationships, and they, and they have they have the veterans who can yeah. galvanize the group. And at this point, they don't need anybody to do it because that's the culture there. But if if there is anybody who's getting out, people people check them pretty quickly.
0: No, I'm I'm with you. I think that really is. Yeah, I mean, it's a frustrating loss for sure when you go ahead and then cough up to extremely cheap goals. But like on the balance of play, Napoli were the better team. And also they're really good. So yeah, whatever. Uh yeah, I, I guess for me it's it's not that it like has any impact on the rest of the season. It's just it's kind of illustrative of what the problems are for this team, which we already knew. So that's fun. Uh tell you what, man, let's let's just dive into the season so far. We're seven games in now. We're uh, I've got an English degree, so I'm not going to tell you what percentage of the way we are through this season because I can't do that math. But uh, you know, got another twenty, twenty something or thirty-ish games. What What do we think so far? Where are we on this season? What's tell you what? What's been your high point of the year so far?
1: As As far as the high point and where I'm at, I'm very positive. I didn't expect us to be sitting fifth. Uh, last I saw, Milan is 2-0 up on, on Atalanta right now. So that means we'll stay fifth in the table. Didn't expect that. High point for me, honestly, was, was seeing a clean sheet victory against Udinese. The only one. We, that, that's it. Like, when was the last time? Because it seems like every time we have an opportunity for a clean sheet, somebody messes that up. And it's always in like the 89th minute or the third uh, minute of extra time. It, it, it's it's you know Murphy's law. Whatever can go wrong <laughs> will go wrong. And and finally, we got that we got that clean sheet. Um, and, and most importantly, you know there was some time in between Udinese, and and uh, the Napoli game where we were sitting fifth. We were riding high. Like there was a lot of excitement going on. Uh, for Fiorentina fans who showed up to the stadium in full force. I mean, I don't know if you saw the pregame pictures and sounds. That stadium was rocking again. Oh yeah. Beautiful. Uh, and, and and talking about the fans go back to, to uh, the game with Udinese. The commentators, <laughs> the commentators commented on, yeah, those fans that you hear yeah, they're the Fiorentina fans. That's not the home fans. The ones that are saying that a few fans like it, it, it's just beautiful to see the yeah. excitement back. And and for me, more so than any game, it, it's it's the balance and the equity from from a fan standpoint uh, of of being happy and and being able to have some positive experiences that haven't happened in three years. So uh, it, it's the Udinese win coming into the Napoli game that that's my favorite part of the season so far. That's that's fair. That, I mean they did it did seem like
0: you know the 14 udinese fans who actually show up for their games think that it's a library in there and i say this is someone who's a librarian like that's just such a quiet arena <laughs> from the home supporters that's embarrassing and hey 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 that's my line. uh yeah that no, I, I think for me it's got to be the atalanta game just beating beating one of the big teams like that even the let's be honest fiorentina kind of got battered around a little bit they hung on for it showed a lot of character and i think that yeah getting a win in bergamo is a big deal for anyone especially a team that was just so mediocre for so much of last year like i don't i don't think anyone looked at fiorentina under beppe yakini and looked at a trip to bergamo and said oh yeah that's a win and so go- going in there and getting three points just felt really good to me uh I guess if we got to go for a low point, though, this might be recency bias. I'm going to say Napoli because it just confirmed everything that we thought about this team: the the poor defending, the inattention to detail, the inability to finish chances. I mean, how many how many good jam- two or three just gone begging where Fiorentina could have equalized there. Uh, so, so to me, that's really the thing that. But that spate of yellow cards, that lo- loss of focus, I think for me that's really the low point right now because it's it's exactly what we expect and it's still the same thing. And like, I get that Italiano has not been at the wheel for that long. These kinds of things take a lot more time to fix than seven games. So I'm I'm not I'm not saying this is a criticism of him at all right now, but it is very frustrating to see these same same problems arise over and over. I don't I don't know. It, do you have another low point, or are you, are you also uh,
1: snared in the recency bias? Uh, you know, again, I, I actually take a lot of positives out of this Napoli game. Um, my talking about consistency, I guess uh, my low point here is every single game we line up with Caleon. <laughs> it, it is it is the most frustrating thing as a Fiorentina fan. And and again, I didn't expect us to be sitting fifth, but if we're sitting fifth in the table with Jose Calejón, had we actually purchased a a, a right wing and had it been Berardi, I, I don't doubt that we could be sitting up in that top three right now with probably, you know, that Roma game was tough. I mean, you know, we were flat. Um, I I think that that was actually the game that we're probably not getting points out of. But I can see us getting points out of the other ones. Definitely a draw against Napoli. I I think if we had a, a right winger, we could actually get three points here. Can we get a draw against Inter? You know, That's a two to four point swing, which moves us well up into the table to the top three. And I think the way that this team is growing, there's a lot more options for the future as well there. So I think it was a miss us not getting a right winger and us continuing to line up Caleon, at least put out, um, you know, Mr. You know, wonderful Ricky Sotil out there. Ravishing, Uh, ravishing Ricky. He's a beautiful man, probably going to distract the other players. Just, you know, how his locks flow like that, but he, he definitely changes the game up. I mean, he got a couple fouls just by the way he was sprinting up and down the field, like a deer. He changes the game. Yeah, he has some control issues. He needs to get in better position. He he needs to make better decisions. But we're a better team, potentially more dangerous team when he's out there. Yes, uh, Calleone just just it, it it really bugs the hell out of me seeing him out there being very slow. Sometimes not even trying. Going back to I think it was the Udinese game. Oh, where he just man. literally walked and didn't do anything.
0: Yeah. Bugs me. Bugs me. I'm with you on that. I think for me, if you're going to have a a hole on the right wing, why not bring in Sotil, who might give you something? He got that goal against Inter. He's going to get people booked no matter what. And, yeah, if you're going to have probably someone who's not a star out there, at least go with Ricky, who occasionally makes stuff happen, rather than Jose Caiojon, who's just going to pass it backwards and then kind of walk around like he's – going through an aquarium or
1: something i'm with you on that and that protects audrey Zola as well uh yeah I, I think i think that's missing for him i i like what i'm seeing out of him but he has to do way too much work covering up for uh for kyleon
0: yeah he he does have to i feel like he's maybe trying to do too much even because he's being asked to offer all that dynamism down the right yeah and then also get all the way back which is which is hard But, I mean, even so, like, as much as we're complaining about this and, like, don't get me wrong, we could probably do another three hours of complaining about this without repeating ourselves. Don't worry, Producer Mike, we're not going to do that. Uh, (laughs) Where where do you think we are compared to last year after seven games?
1: Night and day. Night and day. Yeah. I mean, for for starters, you know, I love what – what Nico brings to this team, unfortunately, he's been inconsistent because of the red card situation. Uh, waving in, in Italy, don't wave because that, that'll get the sent off. Um, <laughs> how,
0: how, after, uh, after Anguissa uh, chopped him down from behind and got booked, you saw him start getting up and the arms start coming up. And the, the producer, Mike, was talking about this before we started recording. You're like, oh no. Oh, if he if he doesn't get the card here, it's all going to go
1: sideways, isn't it? <laughs> oh, God. I, I don't get it. You know, I, I, I guess, you know, yellow, and it was a soft yellow, and then afterwards uh, he gets the red card for, for clapping and congratulating, I guess, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love what he brings to this team. However, the biggest change definitely is Vincenzo Italiano. Having a coach in the squad this year, that is developing a plan, developing a system, who's connecting with the players more so than just being a buddy. Um, like, he's he's challenging these guys. He's not just befriending them. He's challenging them. He's developing them, and he's getting a lot out of them with the exception of Dusan Vlahovic, uh, which I think, you know, again, last year we depended solely on Dusan to stay in uh, Serie A. We're missing Dushan this year and we're sitting fifth in the table, night and day, in my opinion, from where we were last year.
0: Yeah, if, if he wakes up, this team is suddenly gonna look uh way scarier. You're not wrong yes. there. I, I guess for me, the the biggest difference between last year and this year. I mean, look let's get in the time machine here real quick and go back to uh week seven of last season. <laughs> Uh, you, you can improve those sound effects in post, right, Mike? Uh, remember, Beppe Iacchini had just gotten fired after week seven. So that's where we were. Uh, Cesare Prandelli had just come back in. And this team looked so unspeakably broken. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Compared to last year, it is just a whole different thing. Uh when, when after seven weeks you're sacking a coach who i mean again all respect to beppe yakini i know we rag on him pretty hard around here but i i have nothing but admiration for the work he did in florence for a couple of years uh but yeah going from sacking beppe yakini and hoping that maybe Jessica Prandelli can get something out of the side uh to having Italiano running the show and doing a good job yeah anyone who's I don't think there are a whole lot of people who are looking at last year
1: and going, oh, if only it could be this year. And, and even the prospects of the teams moving forward, there yeah. was a lot of hope coming with Cesare Prandelli coming in. But again, but... Our, our, our savior Cesare being as good as he is and and it didn't necessarily work out, the prospects of this team are, are much, much better. Yeah, even, even when Prandelli came in, we
0: all knew that like, this isn't going to fix anything. Who are we kidding? Yeah. This team is still busted. It was a broken and, team. Yeah. Broken and, and This year it feels like it's maybe still got some cracks in it, but definitely not all the way broken. So yeah, not
1: even in comparison, I guess. Yeah, and one thing you, you should not discount is the fact that because of the pandemic last year, Rocco was unable to be there. Rocco has been there all, all seven or all, uh, uh, seven games, right? Seven, five games. I'm, 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 you know, forgetting which, which it is, but wow. he, he's he been that's, there that's for it. all we're of cutting, the games this year.
0: We're cutting you off from that chocolate milk. Clearly we can't record when you're like this man <laughs> fermenting no, he, it, I guess. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're yeah. right though. He has, I think he's, he might've missed one or two, but yeah, he's definitely been there for most of them. And that yeah, that might, that might be a difference just knowing that you've got that kind of investment from the, uh, from all the people in charge now if that
1: would only work for the women and for the primavera we'd be in a better spot too he has been showing up to those games so we just need them to start playing well it's getting there but
0: let's all right sorry let's wrench this back on the back onto the tracks here uh let's just finish up uh with the uh with the men's team right now uh what what still needs to be fixed over the rest of the year in the january market
1: uh what yeah, what do you think is still lacking? Uh, simply getting Caleon off off of the <laughs> off of the pitch. Okay, yeah, uh, I guess that was a pretty easy one. Fair. That, that was an easy one. <laughs> uh, temporarily put Sotil out there, and, and what you're doing between now and and the December January mercado opening up is, is you're seeing what you have in Ricky Sotil. Is he somebody that we can trust? Is he somebody that we know we can put out there and can contribute greatly to a top five? city uh, uh, team if he is great if not go dump that money into berardi you know he had his his uh, captaincies separated from him there's been a lot of uh, times that he hasn't traveled with the team he's been vocal about wanting to leave and we've already repositioned and repurposed Benassi to get on the pitch more in that right back position so he's clearly staying so let's let's oh, give goodness. him his biggest and best purpose in Florence yet by recruiting Domenico Berardi. That okay,
0: okay. I Benassi the utility man. He plays right back, he plays sort of midfield, he plays occasionally as something vaguely approaching a striker and maybe now he's also the recruitment expert. I I like it. Uh I I think you're right. It's for me though, it's not just that right wing. It's also a uh, striker I mean when when you need a goal yep and the man you turn to is Alexander Kokorin, who I think the only thing I really saw him do was come on and miss a three-yard pass that he just played straight out of bounds which I mean come on dude that that's just not gonna do it I'm also still worried about left back Uh, I think Baragi you saw towards the end of that game he had what three or four giveaways in like five minutes he was clearly just exhausted uh, i think having someone to rotate with him would be great and it doesn't seem like Italiano really trusts alexa turcic quite to that point yet so yeah i think the squad depth is definitely a big thing uh also just focusing near the goal fiorentino looks like the best team in the league in the middle third of the field. But as soon as they get near the opponent's goal, they miss way too many chances. And as soon as they get near their own goal, they, I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something that is bad and I wish they would stop it. So yeah, I I think that the, uh, I think that increasing that focus when they're near the goal is the other thing. And I have no clue how to do that because as they say, my mental is not that strong either. (laughs) But yeah. Yikes. I I think for me, that's really the big one. Uh, But, but okay, let's wrap this up on a positive note so that we can, uh, we can go into this feeling good. Uh, What, what should they keep doing? What's working so far?
1: Surprisingly that midfield. Yes. That midfield is, is, I remember back to the first game prior to the first game of last season, we were on this podcast and we were talking about projecting Fiorentina's midfield being one of the top two, top three on paper going into last season. It, and it looked good on paper. But this team right now, with Terea coming in and that energy, Pulgar getting things somewhat figured out, but much better than he was mm. last season. Yes. Um, Bonaventura, who many times and and that first half before he got that yellow card he was one of the best players on the pitch yeah there's a lot of really really good talent uh and and we didn't even get to see castor on the pitch over the past few games because of injury but i'm very very impressed with the midfield and the midfield depth and the ability to rotate those players in and out i think we can do it a little bit sooner to be honest I'd like to see the substitutions coming in sooner because there is trust, but I, I like our midfields. I want to see that continue to develop. I want to see some more build-up play coming through the midfields, distribution there to the wings, and then Dushan, once he gets his head out of his ass from this, this contract situation, <laughs> finally yeah. slotting a few goals home.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you all the way. The midfield's been incredible, and especially—I mean, I feel like this is the kind of game in particular where Castrovilli would have made a huge difference. It was very open, a lot of space for a midfielder to dribble past a man and have a lot of, a lot of space to work in, and that's that suits him very well. So yeah, real shame he wasn't available for this one. Uh I, I think the thing, even more than just the midfield for the whole team that stands out to me is the self belief they're playing with. I mean, even when, you know, in the past couple of games when Drongovsky's made a mistake with the ball at his feet, they've just kept on keeping it short. Uh, The midfield, even when, say, Alfred Duncan misplaces a pass, they keep doing it. The defense, they want to keep passing out the back. They clearly believe in themselves. They want to impose control on every game they play in, no matter who the opponent is. And to me, that's the biggest change, not anything tactical or stylistic but just these players they want to go out and pass people off the field now and I can't remember seeing that since uh, Montella 1.0 and it's so much more fun just to watch I imagine to play it too oh absolutely yeah but just just being able to go out there and believe in yourself and believe in the system that you're in when's the last time it's been ages. So yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled with that. And I, I really hope they keep that going. And with Italiano, I mean, he kept Spezia playing the same way like that all season long and kept him up against the odds last year. So I don't see any reason that's going to change. Great. All right. Well, let's, uh, we've kind of danced around it a little bit and it's time to get back to the Dushan watch. What's going on with the renewal dude? Like what, what, what is this? You know, way more about this than I do. Can you just break this down,
1: and tell me what this absurd thing is. I'm going to start by giving credit to Rocco. Um, Rocco has been out in front speaking with Dushan, trying to speak with his agent, being very positive, putting the money on the table, promoting the player, giving him props, giving him respect. Joe Barone has been out talking about how they're trying very hard to get all of this done uh putting the money on the table putting together a package that has everything that the player and the release clause that they're looking for but you know missing a few dollars for the agents it seems like we 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 get to the point that they want to get to but we get to that point a few weeks and a few months too late. Which is why I don't understand why we haven't learned from history in this experience. Number one, we have history to point back to with Federico Chiesa. Rocco did the same approach, speaking very highly of the boy, we're working on it, we'll get it done. Had conversations behind the scenes. Had a very good you know, father-son type relationship until he said, I'm not signing. Literally, Baroni's sitting at, uh, uh, at the training uh, center, waiting for Chiesa and his father to show up. And he gets a call from the player's agent, Chiesa's agent, saying he and his dad aren't showing. They're no longer going to sign. They're going to instead move to uh, Juventus. Um, true story, that did play out uh, in, yeah. in Florence a couple of years ago. So. Uh, mm. Mm. here we are last year playing with Dushan. He went through the first half. It was it was a bad first half. Uh bad team. And then the second half he carried us. I I was able to share what I found out through the channels that I knew, which is where we needed to get to, which at that time was three million. And then three million became four. For, well, for the for the salary? For the salary. Yeah. And we eventually got there, except those were numbers that go back to February and March and then May and June. And we got there in probably May and June for the three. And we got to the four (laughs) in like August and September. We're just, you know, too far behind in this. And my ultimate belief now is shifting. I don't believe that Duchamp wants to stay. I do believe, and this isn't based off of any type of information inside that I have now. The other side was, was information that I was able to share before. This is all belief. I do believe at this point, Dushan is playing nice. He's going to be a very good professional. He's going to finish out through uh, December. And then there's going to be a very serious discussion about selling Dushan in January. Because mm-hmm. he's not on a team playing in Europe. So he can now go to a team who is playing uh, in Europe and slot right onto that squad. Yeah, And he's going to have a lot more value than he would in, um, uh, in June. So, I, I also believe that that team probably already has a deal in place with his agent, maybe not necessarily Dushan, but Dushan's out of it. Like his agents are clearly dictating what's going on at this point. And I don't even, I don't even think they want to sit down with Fiorentina if it's not to discuss the transfer. So at at that point, do you think it just
0: makes more sense to sell him in January and just get it over with, or well, do, you, do you think it makes if, more sense if he's sense not to...
1: going to renew, sell him in January, mm. get more money, get get more money, um, Dang. And, and and it's hard for me because it, uh, I, I've been a Douchan fan since he's he's been oh, yeah. at this club. I mean, we're we're talking about your large adult son right now, which I know is tough on you. And I wish that, uh, you know, somebody would actually take him aside and, and tell him, like, listen, your, your first few games this season have been clouded with with a bunch of mistakes and, and a lot of promise, but you're not capitalizing on it. You need another year or two in Florence. Sign that renewal, get paid, even negotiate getting all the back pay for this year, like get your get your money from every game. So that way it goes four million Back to September, and you get all of that in a nice lump sum. You stay here through through June. You play another season in Florence. You build up your career, and you you tie it to specific situations from a Rocco perspective. Like, if this is me, and I said this on a podcast before, if Rocco's serious about wanting to retain Dushan, go sign Berardi. Dushan should say the same thing to him. If you're serious about re-signing me, I'll take the $4.5 I'll take the $80 million buyout. I'll take the five, you know, whatever it is, five million going to to the player agent, or it is what it is. Um, Who knows what that number is going to change to at this point, but you need to make sure that you're signing Berardi. You need to make sure that you're putting another, you know, 30, 40 million into the January Mercado, because I want to make sure that we're in Europe next year. Like that's part of my growth. You get this done and I guarantee you I'll sign. You sign Barardi that next day I'm signing that that extension, but I'm not signing it unless you do it.
0: And so all right. So here's another question for you. Do you think that having all of these negotiations be so out in public is
1: what what effect does that have on it, if any? Does that make any difference? I don't think the negotiations are out in public. I think that Fiorentina, which their approach along the lines, go back to Chiesa. Chiesa has a contract. He must respect the contract that contracts with Fiorentina and he'll play it out. I I hated that hard line. They've made that hard line stance with, with Milankovic with Dushan. I hate it. Now it seems like they've softened that. And now they're coming to the the public with some of the failed negotiations and trying to, to put some of the, the egg on the agent. Um, But I don't think that that needs to kind of play out there. Certainly, Vlahovic's crew isn't saying anything publicly. Yeah, uh, I, I think that they're happy that that um, there's nothing being done because they're probably negotiating with another team at this point. So I, I think it should be done behind doors, closed doors, and it should be done with Rocco, Joe Baroni, and and convince Dusan. Like, what do you want? Not your not your agent. We'll take care of them. If they want a certain amount of money, give it to them. The, Rocco makes a ton. Give him what they want. Dusan, what do you want? You want 5 million. All right. So that's 10 million, five to you. We're good. What else do you want? You need to have Berardi. We'll go get your Berardi. You have a complete team. Now you go out and perform get us to Europe, stay another year in Europe. And then after 2022, 23 is, is when we'll be able to sell you $80 million release clause million euro.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds good. I think, The thing that's been standing out to me about all this is that, I mean, uh, Rocco gave that statement, which I actually thought was really well done. He was clearly frustrated, but in control of himself. And explained, like, yeah, like, you know, we've talked to Dushan. He says, talk to my agent. We talked to the agent. He says, talk to Dushan. I mean, what are we supposed to do here? This is ridiculous. I, I thought that was a very, very good thing that he did. But I think it's also worth remembering that, I mean, these agents aren't doing anything uh, anything that their clients don't tell them to do. And a large part of the agent's job isn't just to negotiate money. It's also to basically be a PR shield for their clients. So, I mean, that's why a guy like Mino Raiola or uh, Georgia Mendes, that's part of their job is they they negotiate a move away or a renewal and all the fans get furious at the agent and mostly leave the player out of it. That's, that's part of the job, and I think that's what Darko Ristich, uh, Vlaovic's agent, is doing right now, and I think that he's not great at it yet. He's young. This is his first high-profile client, and so he's still trying to figure out how to do it himself, but yeah, I, I really feel like, I don't know, man. I mean, do you, do you think that they could just offer like a one-year extension like they did for Milenkovic this year and see if that does it just to, to make sure that they can
1: sell him? for higher value later on. Well, I, and again, I, I just don't think that Dushan and his agent want him to stay. So there's no need for an extra year. Um, it, it it's counterintuitive to what that they're trying to do. Cause if, if you're going to sign an extension, you might as well sign the extension that has the buyout clause. And it seems like people have agreed at the sev- or the 70 to 80 million Euro number. So that's the number, and, and everybody you talk to says that Dushan's clearly worth every bit of 100 million. So if that's the case, and you can buy him for 70 to 80, one year, five years, doesn't matter. Four million, five million, it doesn't matter. It, it, it either is that he wants to sign this extension and be part of the culture here for the next six months to 18 months, or he's already determined where he's going Unfortunately, we're having these negotiations eight, 10 months too late. This, this renewal should have been done 10 months ago, signing him at a two to three million euro a year contract. And you could have probably put in no release clause and everybody would have signed it and been happy with it. But, you know, we were then trying to offer 1.25 at the time that he was wanting three. Yeah, and it goes by the wayside. So here we are. I mean, yeah, got got to spend
0: money to make money, I feel like. But, well, all right, dude. Uh, that feels like it's very incomplete, which also matches exactly the situation. So I'm voting we just drop it there. Uh, let's let's go on to the player spotlights, because these are a little bit funner. Uh, so Fiorentina Femenile, uh beat Sampdoria under Antonio Cincotta, which still feels so weird to see Chincota on the, in front of the dugout for the other team, uh, four, uh, two, yesterday. So, uh, things, things start to turn around for the women's side a little bit under Patrizia Panico, uh, who's really stood out for you, uh, from, from that team recently.
1: So I'm not going to steal yours. Uh, I appreciate you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing <laughs> moment that she had, um, you know, there, there were two players that, uh, that I thought did a great job in that game. Uh, probably the best player on the pitch uh, was Margarita Manecki, and uh, you have to also give it up to. Even though there were a couple goals scored, Schrofenegger had a phenomenal game, yeah. keeping out keeping out a few goals that should have gotten in. Um, I, I, I think that you know, while Mineki got a lot of the the, the press and, and the publicity. Uh, Strofenegger is the one that uh, probably kept that game um, in Fiorentina's favor. There, now you know back to Chincota. You know again, all, all respect goes to that man. Yeah, great guy. Put out, put out uh, a phenomenal message to Fiorentina, uh, the fans there, uh, the Go Women um, group there was a phenomenal response. Uh, you know, of course, you know, when the go women's are, are involved, there's going to be gifts that are going to be given. So, you know, they gave out uh, a couple gifts and, um, you know, it, it was a bittersweet, a bittersweet moment for them. Yeah. You know, coming back into, uh, uh, the Gino Bozzi stadium, uh, you know, it's probably, I don't know, 20 yards separating the, the two, uh, benches and 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 the boxes that the, the the coaches stand but you know a guy who's always lined up on that left hand side in the box in the coaching box now he's on the far right side yeah uh, in that coaching box bittersweet moment but uh you know he received a phenomenal ovation a few gifts gave a a, a great message uh publicly and um deserves everything that he gets i mean you know team's not doing too bad. Uh, first year team. So yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we still always wish him the best for sure. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Going back to, sorry. Yeah.
0: Jinkota's is the man. We all love him. He's been on the podcast. He's a genuinely wonderful person and a brilliant coach going back to Schrofenegger though. I do think it's kind of funny that in a game that finishes four two, the, 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 uh, the Fiorentina women's, uh, Fiorentina Feminile said that she was the player of the match, which he, I don't feel like you got a whole lot of goalkeepers who win that in a 4-2 game, which tells you exactly how fantastic she was. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with the obvious one here though, because I like obvious things. Uh, I think that Sarah Huchet, Huchet, I don't know how to say this because I don't speak a lick of French. Sorry, everybody. Uh, scored a really, really, really good goal. Uh, and also his, she played more as a number 10 at Napoli last year and in France previously, and she's dropped deeper into midfield. She's having to do a little bit more work and she's looked great. Not just the goal, which if you haven't seen it, go, go hit pause on this and go watch that. It is an absolute banger. Yep. But just her,
1: her overall performance, I thought was really good too. It's actually pronounced Sarah Brown. Brown. Brown, Brown, yep, Brown, yeah. Brown. H a- u c h e t Brown. In, in French is Brown, yep.
0: Sarah Brown. Cool, thank you. I, well, yikes. Just uh, yeah, that's just the Texan in me not knowing how to uh, do culture. Sorry, everybody. Uh, all right. Well, now that I've uh, mispronounced that uh, into the grave, I'm gonna go with something a little bit easier. And uh, for the players on loan who's impressed me recently, gotta be Gabriela Gori. He's at a couple of tough years away on loan, but he's got 3 goals in 7 games now and he is absolutely killing it. Uh you know, always been very very handsome, which is great. Uh but yeah, just tearing it up with Cosenza and also if you go on to transfermarkt and look at his the picture on his profile, it's really really funny and he he looks like he's seen a ghost or something everything for him is going very very well right now he's scoring he's handsome he's taking good pictures I'm just thrilled for him that he's finally starting to put it together
1: maybe before that picture he saw Italiano's dress on the sidelines that white button down t-shirt with the uh, black sweatpants and and purple stripe I I, I don't even get it I don't know Uh, (sighs) only the Italians only the Italians can make that work if one of
0: us tried that Oh man, we just get roasted and, and justly, but Italiano, I think pulled it off. Yeah. Uh,
1: I'm going to go with Sarkovsky, uh, over at Empoli. Oh, that, that <laughs> one's
0: also pronounced Brown, I think.
1: It, pr- definitely Brown. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, anytime that you can take a, a young player of ours, uh, now, obviously it was purchased by the previous regime, which also contributes to why he's been on loan, I would assume, um, but come up through the ranks, and then while he's gone from uh, B to A and play as much as he is, he's contributing a lot to that Emily yeah. team who's been pretty pretty good. I mean, they've, they they've have, been a bright yeah. side uh, coming up from a city of B at this point. So um, I, I like what I see from him. Uh, one of the games I know I had producer Mike go and uh, get us some some information, and, and he provided a lot of really good information on him too um so you know keep it up keep doing that that. that's
0: an option i don't have to do any more research producer michael do it for me oh man this is about to be a real different podcast excellent all right uh, a more
1: more accurate podcast i guess right oh that most definitely (laughs) Yep.
0: (laughs) all right uh let's let's wrap up this little section here uh primavera
1: who's who's really stood out for you I know I said it before, but I'm going to stick with it. Um, uh, 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 And I guess we'll go with a positive and a negative.
0: Krastev,
1: who, uh, you know, against the uh, Cagliari game, got the goal, which uh, admittedly wasn't the most impressive goal. Yeah. I I (laughs) wasn't sure if the goalkeeper was blocked or what was going on there. Uh, But then, you know, he... I would expect him to keep up a little bit better. He, he did give up the uh, uh, the winning two-one goal, running alongside the player. Yeah, I, I just expected him to be a little bit better in that situation. Uh, ha- has had a pretty good um, season so far, but you know we saw the goal which he had leveling it, and then running alongside the player on the left wing uh got behind him and uh allowed him to slot at home so positive and negative but uh cross Dev is is definitely the player that that i'm still watching
0: fair i mean he's hard not to watch because he's you know half a foot taller than all the other teenagers out there and he dyed his hair now oh Just man so that... yeah he's like the world's biggest q-tip it's really fun yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh i'll I'll jump into the midfield too, actually, since we've talked about Alessandro Bianco and we've talked about Dimo Krastev, I'll throw Giovanni Corradini out there, who I think has been really unexpectedly good. He's dropped way back. He played kind of as a, as a 10 previously, and he's working as more of a regista now, you know, following the old Andrea Pirlo path. And uh, he's doing really well. He's still learning the position defensively, a little bit suspect. Sure. But his set piece delivery is really good. I think he's got a couple of assists already, and he's doing a good job of of just uh providing some structure to the play. Uh, I, I really didn't think that was going to work. So again, another guy who comes in for a little bit of a uh, little bit of grief from us sometimes. Full credit to Alberto Aquilani and his staff for for seeing that that was an option to make that change. And I think. That wraps us up here, at least for this section, but don't go anywhere because we have something, uh, I'm not quite gonna say fun, but at least worth listening to when we come back from this ad break. We're going to wrap up here with something that's not as fun and that we really, really don't like doing, but that we really also need to talk about because we've talked about it before with other teams doing dumb stuff and bad stuff. And now it's Fiorentina. Mike, what you want to, you want to go off on this?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's still playing out at this point. Um, What happened after the game when uh, Napoli player, superstar uh Kulabali was was getting interviewed. Uh, a few fans, doesn't matter how many, uh, Fiorentina fans in the stands uh, made racist comments uh, using the word monkey directed towards Kulabali, who uh, to his credit, you know, uh, identified the word, shouted back, you know, and and and, and made it known uh, what was going on there. For Viola Nation, for Viola Station, we've always been very vocal, taking a stand against all of this. Um, when it happens, doesn't matter if it's in Atalanta, doesn't matter if it's in somewhere else in Europe. Uh, and it certainly does matter when it's in our own home with our own fans. It is not acceptable. I, I did message back and forth with a couple people who were in the stands one who was actually near uh the comments that were made where it was that it was only a few fans and the nice part that i'm hearing is that a couple of the other fans nearby did call to the stewards the the people working in the stands identifying the players or the the fans i'm sorry uh who made the comments which in my personal opinion is exactly what you want to see now Comes the next step. This rant has to be what happens to those fans who made those comments. Doesn't matter if it's one, I don't care if it was a thousand. You take all of them by name and you ensure that they are never able to come into that stadium again. That is the only way that this stops. The fact that we are now seeing fans who take this as seriously as it should. By identifying the fans, getting security involved, pointing them out, that's the start. Where we need to go now is ensuring that these fans never are allowed into the game. I don't care who they are. Cannot be allowed in the game. And once that happens, Fiorentina needs to publicize the hell out of it. Don't need to use their names. I'm not saying that. But promote the fact that these people to five 15, 50 are never allowed inside of the stadium permanently banned why because you decided to take a wonderful game played out by a whole bunch of phenomenal athletes and you decided to racially accost one of them not acceptable you're gone for life only one chance you're done bye bye so uh a, a very negative situation where I am hearing there are some positives, Tito. And I think that that is where we need to start getting better at is the positive side of what happens to these people, identify them, ban them, show the world that it's not acceptable. Right.
0: I, yeah. I think you're dead on. I think this, I mean, obviously it is never acceptable to go out and, be a racist anywhere. But I, I think this is the kind of place where Fiorentina really does have a chance to make a statement. We all know that racism in Serie A and in Italy is a really serious thing. I mean, same as it is yep. here in the US, obviously, where we all are. But we're, we're talking about this other thing specifically. And, and yeah, I, I think that we have seen the league and teams and players and owners uh, frequently. <laughs> Uh, just just not take this seriously enough and act like it's not a big deal. Fiorentina has the chance to do the right thing here and really lead the charge in getting rid of this just garbage attitude that people have. Yeah, permanent bans, uh, name and shame, prosecute if possible, like through courts of law. Yeah, I, I just, I hate when this happens. It's a reminder that as much as we like Fiorentina, we think we're the good guys. These kinds of hateful idiots are still part of the same fan base that we are. And when we try to do this thing where we say, oh, it's only a few bad apples, that's not how it works. When you choose to follow a team, you are associating yourself with that team and with its other supporters for good or for bad. And unless you are vocally and uh, sorry, unless you are vocally advocating for change and really following through with your actions, you aren't doing anything right. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, this kind of thing is unacceptable. And here's hoping that Fiorentina follows through and really takes a hard stance and gets, gets these people out of the stadium forever. And I, I think you did make a good point that, uh, having really encouraging the other fans in the stands to alert the stewards to come, come out and deal with this when it happens. And hopefully it never does again, but if it does, and let's be honest, it will, because these are people and there are always some troglodytes in the group, that's what it has to be reward people for blowing the whistle on this. It's just not acceptable to to be a racist ever, but now in particular, we all know that that's not okay. Yep.
1: And, and we should be the ones starting that, you know, again, credit due to the, and I hate to say heroes here, but those people doing the right thing in this situation. If you see something that is happening that should not happen, point it out, get somebody involved, get the names down and let's get this out of our culture. Because it is a subset of the football culture in Italy. We need to get rid of this subset of the culture, not only in Italy, across all of Europe and across all the sport. So credit to those fans who were in the stands, who pointed it out, who got the people involved. Now we need to see Fiorentina go from taking a step of being very public in statements and to actually having action and promoting the fact that they have gotten rid of several fans permanently, never allowed in the stadium because they made racist comments. Time for action. It really is. And that's, that's not the note we wanted to end this on, but
0: I think it's really more than a win or a loss or anything we saw in the field. This is so much more important. And so, yeah, I think with that, we're gonna say goodbye and let's, let's hope we never have to end like this again. Be better. Viola Station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Producer Mike produced this episode. Our theme song is Great Catch by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from ViolaNation.com. Viola Nation is part of the sb Nation network. Forza Viola. Podcast Network.